This is Gulf Coast Life. I'm Mike Canary. Thanks for joining us. A whole lot has changed in the world of TV news since the early days of television, and our guest today had a front row seat to more than three decades of change as a reporter and newscaster. Andy Barth spent 35 years as part of the news team at WMAR-TV in Baltimore, beginning as a desk assistant in 1971 and working his way up to being an on-air feature reporter, which he spent decades doing before retiring in 2006. Barth produced two feature franchises, one called Andy at Large and the other How Do They Do That, in which he tried to focus on good news stories. He retired in 2006 to run for Congress but lost, and since then he has taught broadcast journalism at the University of Southern Mississippi. He served as Director of Public Information for the Howard County Health Department in Maryland, and he was a press secretary for two public officials whose political party affiliations were different from his own. Retired again, Barth now works as a free Freelance editor of books and articles, and is a political strategist. He was recently giving a talk on campus here at FGCU called The Way We Were the Early Days of Television. It's part of the Florida Gulf Coast University Provost's seminar series that's presented in partnership with the Naples Discussion Group. We brought Mr. Barth by the studio while he was on campus to talk about his career and how the world of TV and TV news has changed. Let's hear that conversation now. Andy Barth, welcome to Gulf Coast Life. Thank you very much. So how long have you been in Southwest Florida and what brought you here? Well, um, I'm a a snowbird and have been for about 12 years. My wife and I come down and spend the winter in Naples. We spend the rest of the year in Maryland, which is a terrific state, but not so much so in the winter. And so we like very much being here in the winter where it's Another day, every day in paradise. I, I say that every day. Um, so your dad wrote for the Washington Post. Yes. Did that make it more or less likely that you would then wind up in media and journalism? Probably more. Uh, I was used to the idea that news was important and that it was fascinating. Um, you could meet interesting people and uh, perhaps have an influence on what was going on in the world or at least know about it. Um, my dad did not try to steer me into it, but uh, I'm sure that that had a good deal to do with my going where I went. Did you do journalism in high school, like high school paper or anything like that? No. Um, I, I wasn't trying to avoid it. It just didn't come up. Uh, when you went into college, you'd studied political science at John, Johns, Hopkins, Johns Hopkins University. Was that political science with a bent toward journalism or was it still not in your radar yet? I grew up in Washington, D.C., and I found the government fascinating, and I thought it was a a noble endeavor to be part of the government. I thought government really was there to help you. I still do think that. I thought if there was a chance to be involved in the government, I'd love to do it. The, um, I was planning to go to law school. Uh, When the time came after graduating from college, to actually go, I realized I didn't especially want to. And I got a job by good fortune with um, the Minneapolis Tribune. I went to work. Uh, as with many things, it had to do with my father knowing somebody in the, at the Tribune. Understood. And that's just the way the world is. But I was happy and lucky to do that. And I went out there and tried to learn something about reporting. So you kind of learned on the job then. They, um, perhaps untypically, but I uh, appreciated it, they were not insisting on candidates having gone to journalism school. They tried to hire 
uh, people with a good liberal arts foundation, and then they, they would teach them the reporting skills to be learned the way they wanted a candidate to learn them. Hmm. Um, how was the weather in Minneapolis? Well, <laughs> Did you have some, some culture shock, or is, is uh, the, the D.C. area where you grew up at least cold enough? I went out to interview there in August, and the summer in Minnesota is spectacular. Hmm. Beautiful, warm, comfortable. Uh, after my interview, I came out start to live there, and I don't need to tell anybody with any sense. Minnesota's very cold in the winter, and that was a big culture shock. Um, if you didn't have a, a strong battery, your car wouldn't start. There was always the possibility that it wouldn't start anyway if it was too cold. It was before cell phones. If your car failed while you were out in the country, it could be fatal. Right. I mean, you could freeze to death. Yeah. Uh, so it was a big shock, but it was it was a great experience. I loved it. You moved on from there after not too long, if I have it correct, and then moved to Baltimore and started TV. Was that a desire to leave print and go to TV? Was it also part of wanting to be someplace that wasn't Minnesota? Well, um, slightly more... Um, complicated. I did go to law school after I left oh, the Tribune. okay. I missed I had, that part. I had been right the first time. I didn't like it. It wasn't for me. I didn't finish. I have nothing against those who did. It just wasn't for me. And I went to WMAR in Baltimore uh, because it turned out to be available. I mean, I, I did want to try something other than print. Uh, I thought doing TV looked like fun. Um, and on that one, I was right. It it was fun. How did one go about getting a job in TV back then without any experience in TV? Did you have a, a demo reel? Did you have to audition, something like that? I had an easier path than people might now. I had an introduction to the general manager there. Again, that's the way the world is. I had to um, interview with the news director. I was 23, and he said, you look too young, you sound too young, You've not been on TV. You don't know anything about it. And I can't really give you a lot of encouragement that you're ever going to be on TV, but you can start here as a desk assistant and write news for other people to broadcast. And as time goes on, if you can prove me wrong, go for it. And I, I started there. Um, before too very long, TV was pretty transient. Uh, then it, uh, there were a lot of jobs. And Somebody would leave or somebody would be ill or somebody would get promoted or fired or something. I got to do more and more there. And before very long, I was – it was kind of an apprenticeship. I, I shadowed a, an experienced reporter and went around with him learning how he did what he did and had a lot of help. And especially from the camera people, the technicians, the editors, I had a lot of help on – trying to teach me what it ought to look like and sound like. And I did start to look older and sound older. So <laughs> after, after a while, I started being on the air, and it, it went on from there. I, had, I worked there for 35 years, and I, I can almost say I enjoyed every minute of it. Of course, not all, but most of it I did. And you started there in the early 70s. 71. Can you... Describe the scope of that operation back then. I just want to get a sense for, you know, how big was a 
what which which station affiliate was it? Was At it? that time, WMAR was a CBS affiliate. Okay. It was the seventh station in the country to go on the air, as I understand it, and the first in Maryland. And it took a while for people to get accustomed to listening, watching TV for their news and to trust the people who were on it. I think there were about 100 people in the news department. Wow. Um, which include, I mean, TV is a team sport. And there, if there were 100, maybe 15 or 20 were reporters were on the air. And the others were techs and shooters and editors and sound people and light people and ran the satellite truck people and all of that. Huh. Uh, any early memories of being in the newsroom that stick out to you or any figures in the newsroom <clears throat> that were particularly um, inspirational or, you know, helped you forward? I was in the newsroom the day that George Wallace was shot uh, at a shopping center in uh, Maryland. Uh, that was shocking. I was in the newsroom the day that Spiro Agnew pled nolo contendere to the charge of taking bribes from developers in Maryland and resigned the vice presidency. And that was, uh, Maryland has had a rich tradition of corruption in public office, which they're trying to get past. But it wasn't uncommon for public officials to take bribes for public works contracts, and that kind of thing. And Agnew had been like a lot of others and didn't really think a lot about it, but it did end his career. Any, any um, veterans in the newsroom that you looked up to? I looked up, well, kind of to everybody because they were all... They were all veterans compared to you. They were veterans. <laughs> they were um, attractive people and almost to a, to a soul. They were nice people. They tried to help me, not try to discourage me or anything. And they were, uh, they were glamorous and had skills I didn't have. And I tried to imitate them and tried to learn a little bit from each one of them. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but was there cigarette smoking happening in the newsroom back then? I'm trying to picture 1972 TV, Baltimore. Not as there was in the newsroom at the Minneapolis Tribune. The newspaper <laughs> newsroom reeked of smoke. Maybe there was too much equipment around in the TV station to smoke that, around it. That may have been it. I'm pretty confident you weren't sp supposed to smoke in the newsroom <laughs> or the studio, but there was a designated uh, lunchroom or outside or wherever. You, a lot of people smoked. Um, I think TV eventually did a lot to educate the American public all over the world on the dangers of smoking. Yeah, absolutely. And we picked up some of that information ourselves. Huh. Do you remember the first time you were on the air, like the first story that you did where you got to go home and watch yourself? Yes. Um, it's a little bit I'll, I'll embellish it a little bit if I may. Johnny Unitas, <laughs> the quarterback of the Baltimore Colts, had a restaurant in the shopping center right next to the TV station. And if not my very first story, uh, after one of the very earliest ones, Johnny Unitas drove up across the parking lot to the Golden Arm, the restaurant he owned, and got out of his car. And I was walking across that parking lot to go to the supermarket next door. And he looked up and he said, hello, Andy. He had seen whatever it was I had done with that first story. And I thought that was the most exciting thing that had ever happened to me or ever would. And it was. <laughs> it was just <laughs> unlike it was neat. Um, were you comfortable on camera at first? Did you know enough to be uncomfortable? I, mean, I knew enough to be plenty uncomfortable. I don't think anybody's comfortable at the very beginning. Yeah, no, I totally get that. It, it just is an acquired comfort if you ever get it. Um, 
but I was uncomfortable, and I, but I learned, and I did watch myself. I mean, I, I would watch the tapes after I was on and tried to learn from the many mistakes. I mean, there's, there's, it's almost unnatural to be trying to act natural doing it. I totally understand. And in this business, I always tell people that are coming up, I've told Jared behind the glass this many times, mistakes are good. Mistakes are learning moments because you can't not make a mistake until you've made it at least once. <laughs> I, I'm with you. I, I made, if not all of them, I made it my share. So uh, the talk that you're giving on campus is the way we were the early days of TV. Um, can you describe the core elements of what TV was to you back then and maybe contrast it with what you think TV is now? Well, disclaimer, um, I was a practitioner of it from 1971 on, not an academic or an historian, but I've looked a lot at what was on and what it was like at the time, and it was very largely um, entertainment shows like I Love Lucy and The Honeymooners. There were some early dramas and detective stories as there are now. The entertainment part of it was wildly tame. I mean, it was just, um, I won't say innocent, but it was pretty innocent compared to what there is now. Um, and the news was just beginning to get developed. Uh, John Cameron Swayze was on and before long, uh, Cronkite and Huntley Brinkley, and um, it was getting developed, and it got more and more important and influential. Um, I realized I would like to be on news, national news, but TV was um, innocent and uh, not complicated, and the most important thing to understand about the way it was then as opposed to now is there were three networks, only three. And in a, in a big town, you'd have three network affiliates, so there'd be three stations to provide you content, but nothing more. And as you know now, there are hundreds of stations using cable. I mean, there are two eras of TV. There's BC and AC, before cable and after cable. And before cable, everybody likely watched one of the three network stations and TV rightly claimed to be something that could bring us together, that could unify the nation with shared experiences, which did happen. And it still does somewhat now, but the audience is fragmented. It's way spread out and atomized, and there are a lot of things to watch, to keep, which prevents there being these tremendous shared moments. And, you know, the shared moments used to be because it was live, or at least, you know, it was being broadcast live. And now I think most people, they might watch the same shows, but they might watch them at entirely different times. So there's not that like in that moment together, maybe the Super Bowl, maybe the State of the Union address, something like that. But everything else, we're all off in our own little worlds and there's not that overlap. There used to be appointment TV. If you wanted to see West Wing, which I did, uh, you had to be home at nine o'clock on Wednesdays or whenever it was, or you'd have to wait until summer reruns. Right. Uh, now with VCRs and streaming, often you can see whatever you want, everything, everywhere, whenever you want it. Do you think there's something lost in that collectively as a culture? I do. I think it used to be you could count on talking at the water cooler or in school or whatever with your friends about what had been on last night. And chances are good everybody watched the same thing. Um, that's just not there. That's okay, but there's something lost. 
I'd like to take a moment to reintroduce my guest. Andy Barth was a reporter and newscaster for WMAR-TV in Baltimore for 35 years, beginning in the early 1970s. He's on campus today to give a talk as part of the Florida Gulf Coast University Provost's Seminar Series in partnership with the Naples Discussion Group. The topic of his talk is The Way We Were, The Early Days of TV. If you'd like to engage with the show about today's topics or any of our episodes, just use WGCU social media. Find us on Facebook. We're at WGCU Public Media, and on Twitter, we're at WGCU using the hashtag GCL. So I dug around on the internet, and I found a couple of your, I believe, were the Andy at Large reports. Yes. <laughs> I had to go to the Internet Archive. Believe it or not, they have some big blocks of, like, stories and B-roll that you can just scrub through, and they have indices at the bottom, so I could try to find. And I found one of you reporting on training dolphins. Yeah. And I found another one about the opening day of Camden Yards in 1992, and I actually pulled audio from that. And if you don't Whoa. mind, we're going to give you a trip down memory lane. Oh, great. I hope. <laughs> Along with all the civic pride and national attention we've been enjoying, there's been the expectation by area business people that the new stadium would be good for the bottom line. We've reported extensively on the impact of the park on Camden restaurants, bars, and entrepreneurs. Today, we asked our own Andy Barth to see whether opening day brought the promised profits. Jim Ford runs sliders. Is this what you hoped it would be? Uh, a little bit more than what I hoped it would be. A little you... bit too much to handle. Mark Skowerski works at Pickles. I've been in since 10 o'clock. It's been a zoo ever since. But that's good. Oh, it's excellent. That's what we've been waiting for for two years already. And now it's here just as much as you expected? Uh, I think a little more than we expected, but hey, keep them coming. The same was true all around the park. This hot dog stand did a huge business by undercutting its neighbor. You get better prices over here and you get inside. But today, bars were the biggest beneficiaries. John King has his life savings and months of preparation riding on sliders. Um, I'm loving life right now. How's that? It's busy, but I'm loving it. It's exactly what we were hoping for. Well, I guess it must be true. The secrets to success in business... Location, location, and location. Across the street from Oriole Park at Camden Yards, I'm Andy Barth, News Channel 2. Well, crowded as those establishments. Do you remember that day? I sure do. Yeah. I, I do. I love hearing it. Thank you very much. Um, but it was tremendously exciting, and I got that front row seat at an event that a lot of people were curious about and wanted to know. And I am grateful for having had that. You bring up a point that... Um, in in a long career anywhere, it's important if you like opening day because it comes around every year. And if you want to be continue to be assigned to those kind of stories, you got to make it interesting in year two and five and ten. And you know you've got to do the first day of the baseball season with some interest and excitement. And you got to do the first day of the school year and the first day of the fishing season or something. That, and keep being able to make it interesting. So that was one of the tasks. Seems like one of your uh, attempts, anyway, was to focus on good news. Was that? I'm sure it wasn't all good news that you reported on, but was that kind of your your hope to bring some good news to the world? It became that very quickly. At the beginning, um, I did fires and shootings and and all the kinds of bad news that uh, there's too much of on TV I and mean, too much of it in the world. <clears throat> and I tried hard to be the the toughest not meanest, but the hardest working and the hardest edged. Hard-nosed reporter. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, one of the people I covered called me the meanest man in town, and I took it as a compliment at that point. But I realized 
after a while. I didn't especially enjoy that kind of story. I didn't like catching people being bad. I decided I would try to catch them being good and do good news stories. And if you think about newscasts, as you know well, there's a lead block. There are lead stories that are usually bad or hurricanes or something. And then there's at the end, there's a kicker. There's a feel-good, good news story at the end. And I tried to do that uh, more often. Um, that's how I got Andy at large. And I was the deal was if I could come up with good stories every day, I could assign myself. And I loved that. Uh, I did the last story rather than the lead story whenever I could. I, 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 that's what I would have tried to do, too, if I was in TV. Um, you were there for 35 years-ish. Um, you know, these days especially, you know, people hot markets, you know, people come and go. Um, was that normal for someone to stay that long? Or, or was something about you and, and that market and that, that town that you decided you wanted to be there that whole time? It's not normal. I uh, never claimed to be normal. I loved it there. I just got to the point where I had a relationship with the audience. People were kind and friendly to me. I got to do stories usually that I liked. I got an offer to go to a bigger market one time that I didn't take. After you don't take it for a while, uh, the, the offers are, are less frequent. Um, I just liked it so much that I didn't feel like moving, and my family was there. I had kids. I kept them in school through high school, and I went to all their PTA meetings and all of that. Uh, it's not normal, but I'm glad I did it that way. Hmm. Uh, last question. You know, uh, younger people these days don't really watch news on TV anymore. Do you think that's a good or bad thing? I think it's a terrible thing, uh, and that's not just self-interest. I still watch, uh, my wife and I watch every night at least one network news show and usually two so we can compare and contrast and see what one of them missed and who did it better. And I think if people understood that instead of having to watch the cable news all day and they keep repeating and repeating, if you give half an hour to the news that has been compiled and curated by experienced news people and editors in New York who determine to the best of their ability and there is no, on the network news, there is no effort to proselytize or steer or persuade people to a point of view. They're telling you what you think were the most important things that happened during the day uh, with some variety and often with a hard lead story and a feel good at the end. A kicker at the end. Yeah. But I think that watching the news is tremendously important and it's the only way to figure out whether we like what the government's doing and how it's going and are we in the right direction or not. And so I encourage watching the news. All right. Well, that is unfortunately all the time we've had. I've enjoyed talking with you. Andy Barth is a former longtime newscaster at WMAR-TV in Baltimore, and he's speaking on campus today. Andy, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. I enjoyed it. Mr. Barth was on campus to give a talk called The Way We Were, The Early Days of TV. It's part of the Florida Gulf Coast University Provost's seminar series that's presented in partnership with the Naples Discussion Group. If you missed any of the show today, you can always hear episodes in their entirety on our website. That's wgcu.org slash gcl or wherever you find your podcasts. Our show today was produced by yours truly. Our director today is Jared Gonzalez. Our social media coordinator is Tara Calligan. For now, thank you for listening. 
listening. I'm Mike Canary. This is WGCU-FM, Fort Myers 90.1, WMKO Marco Island 91.7 FM. We are NPR for Southwest Florida.